Hello, I'm Deirdre Sotarelli, the host of the Repivot Project podcast, dedicated to giving you actionable strategies and tactics as we explore the art and science of change. We'll talk with some of the brightest minds, people who are driven to be curious, and folks who have a courageous heart as we explore the theme of transformation. Are you looking to change things up personally, launch a business, or keep your brand relevant in today's marketplace? Our guests will give you the tools to push those boundaries and to take risks. Think of them as friends you haven't met yet. Come join other fellow explorers because we believe that by creating a collective sense of purpose and by sharing tribal wisdom, we can lift one another up one episode at a time. My word is not resolution, it's reflection. At the end of the year, I look back and I ask myself, okay, if 2022 was a book about my life, how would I title it? If this was on a shelf at Barnes and Noble and I want to read the story, what am I going to title the story? Because I'm not just looking at the mistakes. I'm looking at the joys. I'm looking at the gratitudes. I want to look holistically at my entire year. Lindsay Singleton is the founder of Lighthouse Coaching and Consulting. A licensed mental health counselor, life coach, and speaker, Lindsay has been involved in the mental health field for close to 25 years. I've always found Lindsay to be positive and uplifting. I think you will as well. Welcome to the episode. Lindsay, it is great to be sitting with you today. I've been looking forward to this, and obviously pre-recording, you and I were talking about just following one another on LinkedIn and social media. And so I really am pleased to have you as a guest today. I'm so, so excited. Ever since you and I first connected at Endicott, it was a real, real honor and privilege for you to reach out and ask me. So thank you. You're a licensed mental health counselor and your business is Lighthouse Coaching and Consulting. You have had a background in serving high school students and college students, and now you have your own private practice. This is a podcast about change and transition. So you've had some transition yourself. Absolutely. My very first job right out of undergraduate, I worked for the North Shore Rape Crisis Center and really got interested and involved in doing prevention and education and then the clinical piece. And so at that time, I decided to uh, go into the counseling profession. And then what happened was I happened to be serving on board of directors for a theater arts-based violence prevention program that wanted to go nationally. And I was in my mid-20s. It was an opportunity to travel all around the country, speaking to high school, colleges, military bases about sexual violence, dating violence, bullying and harassment. And I absolutely adored it. But then I, I realized that for me, I really need the 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 mix of intervention and prevention. When I was at Endicott for 14 years, I was the assistant director of counseling and I saw students and I really enjoyed it. But I also got really involved in different clubs. I founded the Lighthouse Leadership Society at Endicott. I really needed that balance. So when I made the decision to start my private practice, I knew that I also needed to do coaching and consulting. I knew that as much as I love sitting and creating space with clients to talk about mental health issues, I love public speaking. I love getting out there. I love coaching and really wanted to create an opportunity for myself where I was able to do both. We also talk with a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast. Have you always felt that entrepreneurial spark in you, which is aside really from any of your mental health work, right? It's interesting. I would have to say that I never saw myself as an entrepreneur 
But in looking back and being reflective as I've created kind of these two arms of my profession where I'm doing my private practice and the coaching and consulting, I realized that when I was at Endicott and I was doing prevention programs and I was creating clubs and orgs, there was an entrepreneurial spirit. There was an idea of, I would see that something was missing. I would really pay attention to the culture and the climate at that time and start having conversations with students and faculty and staff and really try to identify how do we, how do we fill these gaps, right? How do we, how do we make sure that, that some of these needs that aren't being met can get met. When I look back on some of what I created and some of the speaking that I had done on campus, I think that I was an entrepreneur at that time. Never would have seen myself as such, but definitely now in doing this, I'm able to reflect and really appreciate those experiences that I had. Which is an interesting comment because that is what entrepreneurs do. They find a need and they fill it. And we talk about, there's a term in entrepreneurship called product market fit. And for you, it's of course a service that you're providing as well too, but knowing that there's a need out there. And so you talk with very different constituencies. So you talk with high school students, you talk with college students, and then is it fair to say people who are adulting? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So those conversations, are they really different or is that just sort of something that we just expect that you have to use very different language with those different groups? I think that they are different, but I think that something that I'm super passionate about is creating a space of just authenticity. And so when I sit down, whether it's with a group of athletes or I sit down with a group of residence life know, professionals or faculty or high school students, what I'm trying to do is come in as myself, basically say from my perspective, from what I've seen, from what I've personally experienced, from what I've professionally experienced, these are conversations that I want to facilitate. But I think that that's always been something in terms of my speaking and my trainings I'm really doing a facilitation, right? I'm facilitating a dialogue of stuff that they already know. It's just creating that space and giving people permission to talk about their fears, their hopes, their challenges, their successes. And what I have come to find, especially in high school as well as higher education, is the gap to me is... There are speakers out there who are charging $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 to come and speak. And they're amazing. They are incredible. When I worked at Endicott, I would hire some of these speakers. But what I realized is that's not affordable for the majority of schools out there and the majority of institutions. And so what I've really tried to do is create something that fills my bucket because I love doing it and I love getting out there, but I want to make sure that it's affordable. I want to make sure now individuals who are trying to address mental health, trying to address well-being, leadership, that they're able to bring somebody in to facilitate these conversations that they can afford. And so that was something that, that was really, really important to me. And I could see where you'd also meet a need as well, because you're coming in from the outside. So for any of those groups, to have someone from the internal organization speak could be potentially a known quantity. You're coming in without any, I mean, obviously you do research on the group, yeah, but yeah. you're not coming in with these massively preconceived notions. And you 
also believe too that if you're going to create a pivot or a change, it's the conversation that gets that going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I think about for faculty and staff, they're tired, they're worn down, and there's so much on them already that to have somebody from the outside come in and provide an energy, a spirit, an opportunity to sit in community with them and and to say, I am coming in not connected to the company or school politics, the drama, whatever it is. I'm here to create a common purpose to serve your students, to serve your youth and your company and colleagues. I think that that's been exciting about coaching and consulting is it gives me this freedom to really expand these audiences of who I'm talking to, which is really exciting. And one thing I know that you're very adept at is bridging the gap between what I'll call the anticipation. So people come anticipating the talk and maybe anticipating new energy, but there's that gap, right? Then there's day two, there's the day after. And one thing that you're very adept at is helping to bridge that. So what are some of the tools that you use I think one of the biggest things is really making sure that in any audience that I'm speaking with, that they have an opportunity to reflect on their own experience, that they have an opportunity to connect with how this topic resonates with them, whether it's personally, professionally, relationally, and giving them the language that I think is so important. It's one of those things that the college students used to always kind of tease me with is that they would meet with counselors in the community and it felt very formal and it felt very structured and it felt as though they were following some kind of outline of this is how a a Rogerian counselor acts or this is what CBT is this what and that is not my approach my approach first and foremost is to get to know the individual and to ask the questions I think that a way in which I try to work with whether it's an individual or an audience is I ask a lot of questions and I'm not looking for the audience to answer me, but I want them to think about it. I want us as individuals to be able to recognize we're all navigating our own corn maze of life. And and in asking questions, what I'm trying to do is help individuals rise above their corn maze, see where they've been, where they are, and then ultimately where they want to get to. That is always important to me is really helping people identify what their finish line is from a sensory experience. And that finish line is different for everyone. And for everyone. Yeah. You know, we're bombarded with marketing and social media that is telling us what they all think the finish line should be. That's an important thing for anyone who's listening to this podcast to really understand is that it's okay to have your own finish line. And the finish line, oh, by the way, can move. Yes, absolutely. It's not a bad thing. No, not at all. I share this oftentimes when I'm talking about that concept of a finish line. I had a friend, a dear friend of mine who ran the Boston Marathon. And I remember one time I was out with him and I asked him, so what's your playlist? What do you listen to when you're running the Boston Marathon? And he kind of looked at me and said, well, actually, it's not appropriate if you're competitively running to listen to music when you run the Boston Marathon. Had never noticed that. Never noticed that the majority of runners, especially if they're competitive, are not listening to AirPods. I was floored. I can't step on a treadmill without music playing before I even start moving. So 26.2 miles with nothing but your thoughts? What do you think about? And he just very naturally said, I think about the finish line. 
it was so powerful to me because the day before I had seen his social media and there was a picture of him at the finish line. And then it comes to the day of the race and I'm there in Boston and I'm following him on the map, on my app, on my phone. And I noticed that he had stopped and he wound up stopping for a period of time and he had wound up getting sick. He was in a tent for a period of time and, and then finished the marathon. And when I saw him and I hugged him, it was like, what kept you going? In what world would you be physically ill and yet still finish? And he said, I never forgot about the finish line. That became so powerful to me that he could see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, hear it. And it was a non-negotiable that he would reach that finish line. It was no longer about what he looked like when he crossed the finish line. It was no longer about how quickly he crossed the finish line. There was no option for him to cross the finish line. And I think we don't focus on the finish line. We focus on where we're at and we get lost in, in the overwhelm of all of the different directions and all of the obstacles and all of the what ifs, as opposed to just taking one step in front of the other, knowing that that finish line is there. I completely concur with being able to and having to visualize the finish line because mm. marathon is both beautiful and ugly at the same time. Yeah. That's another podcast. Like life, like life. <laughs> right? It seems to me that mental health issues are on the rise. And I would mm. say for young people, but I think maybe across the board. And we hear we're coming out of COVID. We have civil discourse that, in my humble opinion, People are more interested in talking rather than listening. Right. And then social media. What are there other things that you think? First off, is the premise correct in that mental health issues are on the rise? Yes. The blanket statement is yes. I think what has happened, the pro and con of something becoming destigmatized is that it's in our it's in our dialogues more, it's in our lexicon. We're talking about mental health issues more often which I think is amazing. One of the downsides of that, and I see this especially with young people, is that we've almost over-pathologized uncomfortable emotions. That if we experience anxiousness, we have anxiety. If we experience sadness, we have depression. Mm. And that's where I take issue. And that's where I really want to talk more to parents to young people, to schools, and say, while yes, we need to make sure that we are creating spaces for individuals to develop coping skills, for them to process trauma, for them to navigate mental health, mental illness, I think we also need to encourage resiliency. I think that we need to encourage helping individuals feel uncomfortable. When I think of social media, it's not just the competition and comparison of looking at Instagram stories or, or seeing the visual representation of other people's lives. But I think the other thing that social media and technology does is it removes discomfort completely. If I'm sitting in a waiting room, I don't have to feel uncomfortable as I'm sitting in the waiting room. I can spend the entire time just scrolling on TikTok. I don't even have to 
feel that discomfort. If I walk into a classroom for the first time, I don't have to look to my left or my right and introduce myself. I can immediately take out my phone and look busy or look important. I see it even professionally when I do trainings or I go to conferences is that we don't have to sit in discomfort anymore because we have these things that protect us from it. That to me has really done some damage in just allowing us to feel natural emotions. If I'm working with somebody who's going through a breakup, one of the hardest things to help them sit with is like, yes, this sucks. Right. I'm not going to do anything to make this not feel bad. And it's okay for it to feel bad. We were talking earlier about grief. And that was something that I think even in grief, we don't really give ourselves permission to sit in the loss. It's, it's let's talk about a celebration of life, which great. Yes, I want to celebrate that life, but I also want to acknowledge my loss and my sadness. pain. Right. Exactly. That it is okay to, to experience these waves of uncomfortable, difficult, and, and sometimes painful emotions and not be so quick to push them away and to numb them or to mute them, but to really give ourselves permission to feel them. That to me is sometimes the concern. A parent reaches out to me and says, my child has significant anxiety. And when I'm meeting with the teenager or the college student, they're not experiencing a clinical anxiety, they just don't know how to deal with feeling anxious. Mm. And I think, again, sometimes we over pathologize and we're giving individuals a diagnosis when it's about coping skills. It's about connection. It's about storytelling. Yeah, life. And it will come out eventually if you don't process it Yes, in its natural flow, it eventually will come back to life. Absolutely. Absolutely. People might be evaluating their resolutions. And I heard a rumor that you might not be a big fan of the word resolutions. Is that true? It is true. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. And it's so hard for me not to immediately when I see everybody's social media posts about their resolutions for me to not immediately respond and say, no, no, no. Because, you know, historically, and and we know that whether it was the Babylonians, Caesar, Christianity, like New Year's resolutions have been around for a long time, a lot longer than I've been around. And, And the idea behind it was it's an occasion for thinking about the past mistakes that we've made and resolving to do better and be better in our future. And I look at it differently. I look at it through the lens of storytelling. We are all writing and living our own story. So at the end of 2022, I sit and I reflect. That's, that's my word. My word is not resolution, it's reflection. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the year, I look back and I ask myself, okay, if 2022 was a book about my life, how would I title it? You know, if this was on a shelf at Barnes and Noble and I want to read the story, what am I going to title the story? Because I'm not just looking at the mistakes. I'm looking at the joys. I'm looking at the gratitudes. I want to look holistically at my entire year, not just focus on my mistakes, because I want to learn from my strengths and my successes just as much as my mistakes and challenges. Right. And then once I've titled that, 
And when I work with individuals, I'll say, great, publisher comes to you and says, phenomenal book, love 2022. I want you to write another book for 2023. The only thing is I need you to title it first. And when you're in that mindset and you think about, okay, I just titled 2022. Now I have to title this book that I'm going to write my actions, my behaviors, my relationships, my decision-making are more likely to align with the title that I'm trying to write, that it just helps guide me in a place that is more compassionate and comes from a place of compassion and encouragement. And I think a big mantra of mine is be curious, not critical. And when I think about my 2023 and the story that I'm writing, I'm just really curious. I'm curious if I can do it. And I'm curious if when I get to the end of 2023, will it match up? Will the title that I set for myself in in the beginning of the year, is that the title at the end of the year? That's how I look at a different way of reflecting on the past year and setting myself up for the the next. Don't you think curiosity creates empathy? Oh, yes. Yes. I am a firm believer in storytelling. I am a believer that stories is what connects us. Stories is what really provide an opportunity to grow empathy. The same kind of thing that when we look at this idea of reflection and this idea of curiosity, the questions we ask are different. That is something that I am really aware of. It's something that, especially when I think about my high school students or college students that I work with that are looking to transition, Mm -hmm. that are either looking to transition from high school to college or college to post-grad life, we're so caught up on the what, where, when. What are you going to study? Where are you going to go? When's it going to start? And to me, the questions that are better in preparing us for transition, who, why, Mm. and how, who are you? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why are you choosing this path? Why is this important for you? And how are you going to do it? That that's something that I realized as being in higher education for 14 years, students who struggled the most with transition to college are the ones who just had no answers to those questions. They knew where they were going to go. They knew what they were going to study. They knew when they were going to do it, but they didn't know who they were. They didn't know why they were doing it and they didn't know how they were going to do it. Mm-hmm. In my coaching business, I've been working a lot more with people mid-20s and older. I have one woman that I'm working with who went to school for nursing, and she knew her junior year, she didn't want to do nursing. She had gone abroad and had this the transformational experience, knew that she didn't want to do nursing, but there was no way that she could get off that track at that point, at least didn't see a way that she could get off of it, finished her nursing degree, accumulated an enormous amount of debt. And now at 28 years old, just left the nursing profession to go into a career that she's really excited about and really passionate about. But it's, it's kind of heartbreaking to see kind of that, that loss of time and that loss of self that she experienced for such a a significant portion. Right. And it's, fair to say that people older than her 
maybe mid-career or maybe getting into the late 50s, early 60s have that moment where they're like, holy moly, yes. this is how I've spent my time. And maybe they start to get the language or the sort of the self-awareness to say, mm -hmm. this is not because people live longer now. You yes. know, someone that's 60 and have another 30 years in front of you. And those are important questions, the who, the why, the how. Yeah. You asked me earlier about tools that I use. One of my favorite tools, and this is something that, you know, anybody can use is figuring out what are your core values. I have a, a list of, of 81 core values that I, I will send to somebody and I'll say, you can only have 10, not nine, not 11. You have to come up with 10 core values. And then what I do is I say, okay, if these 10 core values were gas tanks, that are fueling you, that are moving you through, for, through your personal life, relational life, professional life, how full or how empty are mm. these? It's fascinating. I was meeting with somebody yesterday and had him do this. And he had come to me because he's navigating a lot of depression. And he kind of, you know, clinically gave it that term as I'm depressed. And when we did this exercise, it was fascinating for him to see and for us to have a conversation about okay, you're experiencing this feeling of depression, of sadness, of hopelessness. But when we looked at his core values, none of them were over a quarter full. So he's empty. And so it was a matter of if there are specific things that you can do to fuel up this core value, one of his was knowledge is a core value of his. Reading a book, signing up for a class, taking a, a LinkedIn course. This is something I can do to fuel that core value today. It's, it feels tangible. It feels manageable. And one of the biggest things for me in talking about mental health, regardless of the audience, is I don't want it to feel abstract. I don't want it to feel as though you can't see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, hear it. And so I try to use these metaphors and give individuals these tools that they're able to say, okay, I can now actually see a reason why I'm feeling hopeless. I can see a reason why I'm not feeling inspired, or I can see how this pivoting my career will fuel the values that I have now at 50 when at 25, I have very different values and seeing that sometimes when we connect with that, who are we? It just makes sense. It makes sense why, why something's not working and it makes sense why you're looking for that pivot or that change. If you were to ask one question of someone that wanted mm -hmm. to engage with you, is it fair to say that you would lead off with this values driven query? Uh, yes, I would. I would ask that because anyone can do it. I can sit down with a 13-year-old and ask them to look at their core values and they're able to come up with it. A 25-year-old, a 60-year-old, that it's something that a way to understand your current motivations. Oh, interesting. There's a sense of empowerment that comes from that. Again, I, I don't want any of us who are navigating mental health challenges, not even mental illness, but mental health challenges. I don't want us, want us to feel disempowered. I want us to feel empowered. I want us to feel as though we can do concrete things to move us in the direction that we want to move in. And it's easy to say, 
get sleep. It's easy to say exercise. It's easy to say eat a nutritional, well-balanced meal. It's easy to say surround yourself with healthy, positive individuals. Not all of us have those resources available to us. Maybe we're a young parent and getting a good night's sleep is just not an option. (laughs) Maybe we have a physical limitation where exercise is not something that comes easily or naturally to us. Maybe we have financial insecurity and therefore nutritional food is more expensive than processed and, and fast food. By identifying your core values, I guarantee that there is something that you can do every single day to fuel one, if not more of those. I love that. And I love the way you use the word empowerment. Whenever your name comes up, (laughs) that's what people say about you. So I think that's probably a very high and uh, productive note to end on is to ask yourself the why, the how, who, Mm-hmm. And then to do the reflection on core values. Lindsay, if there's an organization or an individual who wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? The easiest way is my website. It's lighthousecc.info and shares a bit about myself. It shares a bit about my philosophy as well as speaking engagements, blogs. The biggest thing that I would say to anybody, I am always willing to hop on and have a conversation with somebody. If you have questions about anything that you see, anything that I offer, please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I love connection. I love building community and conversation. And, and I'm incredibly uh, excited for, for this pivot in my life. Well, thank you very much, Lindsay. I knew this was going to be an inspiring conversation and you did not disappoint. And I am training for a race, not quite a marathon, but now you've inspired me to think about that finish line. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Thank you.